Give a man a fire and he's warm for a day, but set fire to him and he's warm for the rest of his life. You're listening to Brave New Words. My name is Ed and I'm here with... I'm Ross. I'm Mikey. I'm Mim. And on today's show, uh, we're going to be talking about two books. We're going to be talking about Clive Barker's Cabal. And we're also going to be talking about Can You Brexit Without Breaking Britain? By a Choose Your Own Adventure novel by Dave Morris and Jamie Thompson. One of those books is about an insular society that collapses in upon itself over a pointless power struggle. We'll leave it as an exercise to the listener as to which is which. But before we do any of that, a jingle! This, this is Fabrian International. Lovely. Oh, Aww. yes. Probably the best one I've heard so far. Um, just a quick uh, advance notice. This show, we are doing a show, a book that is a bit about current politics. We don't normally touch politics. Um, you can probably guess... We don't normally touch the books, to be honest. <laughs> that is also true. true. Um, so you might, you know, if this is the sort of thing that raises your blood pressure, we have no idea how the show's going to go, but we're going to say you might want to skip this one if it's a topic that annoys you. We are... I'm, I'm very European, however. Hi. Um, so, should we talk about some books? Oh, Jingle Exchange Programme. Yes. There was a lovely jingle. We have a Jingle Exchange Programme. You basically get one of your jingles, we exchange it with another jingle, it's a whole thing. Uh, you can get in touch with me on ed.fortune at Starburst Magazine, just put it, put, put jingle jingle on that, maybe don't put jingle jingle, <laughs> um, just put your know, jingle query on there, it'll be fine. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. You can also find us on at Radio Bookworm, uh, you can complain about us at, at Starburst and score Mag, which is the magazine who hosts us, so you can find us on the Wonky Spanner. I said that right this time around. Sorry, Simon. Uh, and you can also find us on all sorts of other random places, easily accessible in the internet. Um, and we have an Instagram, which is also called Brave New Words, which is really, really lovely and full of pictures of bunnies and fluffy kitties and books. Um, shall we go with something about unspeakable horror? So can you Brexit then? <laughs> okay. I'm wondering how appropriate it is that this is being delivered by someone with quite a sore throat at the minute. So, oh, well, yeah, we are all tired and worn out from talking about it. Yeah, so David Morris and Jamie Thompson decided they were going to write this pretty much as soon as Article 50 uh, was invoked and wrote it, and, had, and it was published mid-February. The book is called Can You Brexit Without Breaking Britain? Uh, you were, in, in it, uh, Article 50 was declared, uh, or invoked, whatever the word is for it, at the end of... March 2016, 17. Sometime in the past. Sometime in the past. Yes. It is the following day, you are the Prime Minister, you have two years in which to somehow get Britain out of the European Union without breaking the country. Oh, this would make an amazing board game. Yeah, well, it, 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 it is a game. It is, in, well, it's presented in game book format. Shall we, just to save your, your, your thought a little bit, <laughs> shall we explain who Jamie Thompson and Dave Morris are? Absolutely. So Dave Morris and Jamie Thompson are both uh, games designers uh, and choose your own adventure games designers. We've had um, Jamie Thompson on the show in the past as the evil overlord because he does a bunch of kids' books as evil overlord and he, loves a, he has a lot of fun doing that voice. Uh, it's, it's about... Eight shows back from this one, 
uh, and he's immense amounts of fun. He was talking about a different project at the time, but he um, he's done Pink Fantasy and he's written for White White Dwarf, and he's that sort of a fantasy games writer. Dave Morrison needs a very little introduction. He's the guy responsible for. Am I right in thinking Dragon Warriors? Yeah, they've, I mean those two and a couple of other guys. Uh, Oliver, there's Mark Smith and Oliver. And the others, so, but um, they've written a lot of game books, a lot of other books were using this format. So those the Fable Land series, I think Dragon Warriors, uh, a series of books that were called Virtual Reality Adventures, um, Blood Sword. There's a, a whole range that they they did write a number of fighting fantasy books, and they've been republishing a lot of their own works uh, as self-published books for the last number of years as well. They're pretty much the. I mean, everyone knows who Steve Jackson and the Nelson are. If you know if you know fantasy adventure books, you know who they are. If you don't, we have shows previously where we talked about them at then. Go back into our archive. Um, but yeah, um, but those the, these guys are the are the kind of the, your stalwart fantasy not fantasy choose your own adventure narrative structure geniuses. The sort of people that you know do teach the the, the new generation of story design. Yeah, and they focus a lot more on. What the, of the narrative strengths of it, rather than so where Ian Livingston would frequently write a book where you turn up to you make a choice, you turn to a page, and boom, your character is dead in some it's immediate dead. but entertaining fashion. That's, I mean, that's lovely surprise if you're on an adventure and you understand. Okay, well, I can turn back to the previous page and make the other choice. That was funny. Whereas this is okay. Well, let's see where we can go narratively. Dave Morrison and Jamie Thompson see me a lot more on the literature side of that. And they'll do mechanics where, okay, you know you're going to... You can probably rely on, you're going to survive to the end of this and you're going to get a good story out of it. But where can you go with it? And how do we make sure choices are meaningful? And how do we make sure, you know, the, the narrative is like, remembers what you've done. So there'll be a lot more, okay, there's keywords to tick off or there's, there's literal boxes to tick off saying, if you've been to this page before, there'll be a tick in this box, turn to this page. If there's no tick, do this. Uh, and these mechanics still apply to this particular book as well. Question: um, Most I've done a lot of the fighting fantasy books. Mm. I really love them. I haven't seen any um, realistic or based on uh, on modern life. You know, there aren't many, and I think this might be one of the few. <laughs> the the one that sticks in my mind, and again, we're, we're kind of only orbiting the topic. But uh, two thousand AD, the the. the comic book people, um, did a thing called Dice Men in the 80s. And it was a, it was a comic book choose your own adventure. Um, one of the, and it's a kind of like a splash cover thing, and I'm pretty sure it was put together by Pat Mills, was called You Are Ronald Reagan! And it was World War, World War III. <laughs> when you finish screaming, then continue the story. And it was a, it was a cart- cartoony style, uh, it was a, sarat- a, a satirical cartoonist of the age at the time. Um, and it was great fun, basically, because it was full of useful facts, like how do you get communications through during, during a nuclear war? Well, from Air Force One, they have this massive steel cable that is connected to the plane, which is a hard wire, because that's not going to go wrong during the nuclear apocalypse. Um, and that sort of thing. So that was a uh, that was a that was a thing they did. Well, I mean, this book is intended to be it's it's semi-fictional in that it covers two thousand seventeen to two thousand nineteen. So obviously, some of that time period hasn't happened yet. 
every character has been renamed. So this is these are clearly not the actual people in charge of Brexit um, at the moment, or other people around the world. There is a who's who at the start of the book, where uh, with a list of names and a list of these are who all these people are. Um, yes. So, for example, I think the name right at the bottom is uh, we have Dumpster P. Windrip, who is the President of the United States. Uh, we have Bob Albert, who is the, lead, the Deputy Leader of the Opposition. Um, we have Colin von Gale, who is uh, the sometime leader of UKIP. You know, there's a, a lot of... Okay, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, there are a lot of people in this who are occupying roles which exist in reality, but we are not using actual names mm. for one reason or another. Uh, the leader of the opposition being Barry Scraggle, which is a wonderful name for the leader of the opposition. There's a, quite a few. There's yeah. Dennis Dent as well. Of the, uh, yeah, Dennis Dent, Secretary of State of the exiting of, uh, exiting of the EU. Yeah. Yeah, so... Subtle. Yeah, and obviously, you know, it's not... As you are the Prime Minister in this book, so obviously that name is you know, clearly yours. Uh, so it's literally, it's the morning after Article 50 is invoked. Uh, the very first question is, right, do you know what Article 50 is? If so, turn to, if not, turn to this page. And it gives you quite simply, this is what Article 50 is. Yeah. Now you've understood that, great, turn to this, turn to where you would have turned if you hadn't, mm -hmm. if you already knew what it was. Followed by, right, is it, this is, you've encountered this sort of stuff before in the books like this. There are going to be some statistics that you can need to keep track of. Now, unlike having hit points and luck and things like that from the fantasy ones, we've got authority, economy, goodwill and popularity, and it's based on a percentage. Yes. Can you remember what the percentage was that they gave it? Yes. Every single statistic begins at 52%. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you will get you will add percentage points or lose percentage points as the story goes on. If it ever goes below zero or above 100, it caps at those two points. Uh, and various points you'll be asked, is your authority above such and such, or is your popularity below such and such? You know, I realise that we're ten minutes into the show and we should explain. Colonials and the other people who are not from the United Kingdom, Brexit is where Britain decided on a 52 to 48% vote to form about 40% of the population, decided uh, that we would leave the European uh, Union uh, for reasons I'm still perplexed to. But just in case you missed it, you can type it into Twitter. Uh, <laughs> don't type it into Twitter. Type it into Google and, and read, read, actually read The Economist. It's no, not some very good articles on it. Or for that matter, read this book, because that's yeah. kind of the point. It's, okay, lots of people are not sufficiently well informed about this topic. The whole point of the book is, well, it's going to try and say, here are the options about it. We are informed, you know, this is informative about what these things are. If, and if you think you can do it, have a go. Um, so, yes, you start off at 52%. Everything is divided. The country is divided. The cabinet is divided. Families are divided. Brother yeah. against brother. Yeah, but to, in a literal sense. So you, you will start the, each... The book is roughly sort of split into four quarters of six-month intervals. So yes. each six-month, you say, right, well, here are some immediate issues that you're going to look at. Uh, you will ask for your advisors for information about these various things. So, go on, tell me about uh, rights for EU individuals. Tell me about the consequences to the NHS. Tell me about security and defence implications. Do you have options to just go, no, I don't want to know about this. I'm going to put my fingers in my ears and make decisions without hearing anything from Essentially, people. yeah, because it's gone, it goes, here's the information bit where you find out about this thing, and then here's the bit where you, I know I want to do enough of, enough of these listening to this expert stuff, let's actually put something into action. But... You are limited in the amount of time you've got because you've only got two years to negotiate all this stuff. So some of this stuff is 
which bit do you care about this bit right you focus on that bit and you might do something like great i've i've got i've sorted out rights for eu uh, immigrants into the uk and rights for uk people abroad we've sorted that unfortunately because i focused on that bit I've left my advisor, the foreign secretary, to worry about things like immigration and... So, Helen, the book will point me to what is essentially an essay on um, on science research in within the EU. I can read up about that, but meanwhile, the, the game goes on. So whilst yes. I've read those pages, I don't get to make... I don't have informed decisions to make about other things. No, you... In essence, okay, I, I don't know... Yeah, it's I'm being in, random. no being informed about the topic doesn't stop you from making decisions. It's just that you've only got enough time to actually act on certain a certain right. number of things. So if I choose to um, get, take a look, if I choose to worry about res residency rights, then somebody else is going to be negotiate handling the negotiation strategy. If I try and do inter international trade deals, somebody else is going to be handling the exit fee. So your so somebody in your cabinet is going to be handling some of these things. And you've got to sort of manage, okay, do I have authority over my party? Uh, do I have a good economy? Do I have goodwill with other nations? Am I popular with the general public? Yeah. Um, and some of the decisions will say, right, well, yes, you've sorted out um, you know, this sort of thing which should appeared in the papers. Great, you look commanding. You, you know, you've, you've, you've gained a lot of popularity with the public because of this, but it costs you certain money. So the economy's gone down a couple of points in, re in response. Some things are going to be lasting effects, though, because such and such a site we handled the negotiation strategy for you you've now got their legacy and lasting effect on um you know how you handle negotiations in the future so that's going to continue to have negative effects because you weren't didn't have a direct oversight on it somebody else did and that's something you're gonna have to live with for two years of the book does it have a sense of humor it has a sense of humor there's i mean there's a number of places where you know you, you get some information while you are um praying about a given thing because i want to know about this thing or you have a completely dystopic vision about what the NHS could be if we followed that particular deal with the United States. So you know, it, it does play, play with a number of things. It does have a sense of humour. I mean, I've, I may have read it slightly quickly while I was you know, reviewing some of this stuff. Um, I, I know that some of the other reviewers have, you know, who've gone through this have, have compared it to yeah, Yes Minister and other things along those lines. So there's... Having just looked through it is written very charmingly. It is. It's, it's a very, very well put together, quite, quite a, a charming turn of phrase on the book. I, I, I think there's a, there's a good sense of humour underlying everything that's in there, because you have to. If you don't mind me reading out just this, this little section, which is quite nice. You apply the whip, but to your frustration and fury, a sizable number of your own backbenchers defy it. You make a mental note of the rebels' faces. Their days in the party are numbered if you have anything to say about it. Look at your Brexit memo pad. If your popularity is 70% or more, turn to 695. Otherwise, turn to 58. It's got that good, it's still got that fantastic vibe of choose your own adventures. It, it, the writing is lovely. You can tell there's a bit of character in here for, for the people. But it does look like it can be incredibly informative. Yeah, so you know, part of it is, okay, well, can you make an informed decision? I mean, if you want to blitz through it without inform making informed decisions, you can do that, and that's sort of the quick way through it. Get the realistic Brexit experience if yeah. you want to believe some people. Um, so, yeah, and you've got, a tick bo you've got a tick boxes you go along to. Well, here are the ten points that you're going to cover during this book. You know, And you may not have time for some of them. It may be that sometimes, so either we didn't have time to do one of these things, or, um, you know, or it got handled in a certain way. So... 
Well, I've been through it. I mean, I've, I've, only, I've only gone through the story myself once, but I didn't get to the second referendum. I didn't get to a snap general election, and I didn't really handle the security and defence of the negotiations with Europe that well. On the other hand, I tried to get residency rights in the NHS, sorted out as soon as I could. So, and, and it's, it's written by two guys who confessed, you know, they, they're both, both remain voters, but they've tried to present it as neutrally as possible. They've tried to present it, well, here's the information, Go ahead, just you know, see what, if you th if you can do it. Try this. What they'd like to do is obviously you know send the copy of this to everybody who's in the cabinet right now and say, you know, if you think you can do it, here's a presentation of it. Tell us what we got wrong, but you know, have a go with it. Just picturing uh, them all sitting there after they've they've done their quotes and go, well, how far did you get? Well, I, I managed to accidentally start World War Three. What about you? Oh, we've got fantastic popularity. I'm doing really well. Uh, but I am only a puppet master. Theresa May's like, shh, don't spoil it for me. Yeah, um, well, okay, my, the way I ended this book was that the former, um, well, several times former leader of UKIP managed to rejoin the Conservative Party and then challenged me for leadership of the party and won, so he's now Prime Minister. So I don't think I ended this book particularly well. That's what have you done? I know! I would have preferred a snap election and lost to the other to Labour than that happened, but that's not how the book turned out. So, I mean, I ended up very popular with the voters, but not popular enough with my party to stay in power. So Almost the Jeremy Corbyn problem. Yeah, but... The, There's a key word in here that's just called hemlock. Yes. But yes, that's true. There's quite a few. Um, the, there is a list of them at the back, so you can take them off. I acquired the, the keywords tightrope, hemlock, bleak and nylon. None of those sound like positive ways to, to present your presidency. Oh, sorry. Uh, my, pres my prime ministerialness. Prime ministerial position. Ministerialness. Ministerity? <laughs> Ministerity. Prime mysteriousness. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's also structured quite nicely in that it does say at various points, if you feel like having a break, just make a note of this number and you can come back. You don't have to do it all in one sitting. Um, <laughs> So there are, you know, it is structured for, you will digest this in a capable fashion. Uh, and at various points, some of the informational points are, are along the lines of, if you've read this bit before, we'll skip the narrative way this way we went through, we'll just give you the cliff notes again, just go, right, okay, this is the quick summary of it. Rather, so you don't have to go through the same psychedelic vision every time you imagine what would happen if you had to pay for the NHS. Instead, you can just go, it's good, it's like this. Um, one of the newspapers in here is called The Hail. I wonder what that one is. Yeah, The Daily Hail. Um, <laughs> the Outrage. Yeah, and there's a TV show called Now Then, which is Question Time. Um, now Then, Now Then. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, the, and the former leader of UKIP appears on this show quite a lot. Um, <laughs> Weird. Yeah, it's, it's almost like someone was paying attention. Yeah. Um, so, there's the question. I mean, can you Brexit without breaking Britain? I don't... I think I broke Britain. Well, I'd like to think I broke Britain, given the way I left it. Um, I do a lot by broke Britain. Um, so, yeah, it, I, I thought it was a good, good thing. Um, everyone I've shown this book to so far has gone, that's a pretty cool idea. And fantastic if, idea. Yeah, and it, it lets you say, right, well, here is this big and comprehensive subject. Let's break it down into little chunks that you can understand at once and give you decisions. Right, well, here are all these things that are conflicting. Can you, you know, do you think you can have a go? I can see this being used in schoolrooms 
you know, we often used to do mock senates or <clears throat> you know mock parliament to discuss an issue, and I can very much see a choose your own adventure game like um, the uh, American the Gateway to the West or whatever it's called, uh, Mission Oregon Trail, oh, yeah, yes, Oregon so. Trail. A, a game of letting you explore to see just how difficult it is and I will give it to politicians as much as we complain about them exactly how difficult it is to keep on track of all the things that make modern politics which is not just having good ideas or even bad ideas but also being able to to get the support of the public because even mm. incredibly intelligent people who are very yes this is definitely the truth it's definitely what we have discovered if no one wants to listen to them about it, mm. it's it's the old uh, the old joke of can you imagine anyone listening to Albert Einstein explaining the theory of relativity? Z equals M C squared, you know, because energy equals matter times the speed of light, and I discovered that while I was downstairs having supper. You can't, you 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 need the authority behind what you're mm. saying and things like that. So it seems like a really interesting way to explore it. How does it do the the whole concept of? How does it do the whole concept of the slightly odder theories about Brexit? Because oh, in like real life, people caused it. Yeah, like I, I have encountered one or two utterly, and I just find myself in these conversations with real people. These aren't online. I'm physically next to a person. Because if it was online, I would have disconnected and walked away. But like they're in the room at the time, so I can't like do that because uh, the, the world doesn't work that way and you sit there and they'll come out with something that is so jaw-droppingly untrue and nuts and odd and you like I just find myself saying repeatedly where did you get that from who told you that and they never have a clear answer because they've got it from some right-wing conspiracy nut job website and they've decided it's true does it deal with complete lunacy um it addresses some of the lunacy. I don't know if it. I don't know if it, you know, you're, you're sort of confronted by it to that extent. Um, I mean, for example, you at one point the 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 US Prime Minister you go on a visit to Cornwall to um, to open some science and technology centre, mm-hmm. and they're because they're very concerned about the fact that they're not going to get funding from the EU anymore. And you, you know you make the quite accurate comment, but didn't Cornwall vote to leave? What you know? What did they not realise this was a consequence of what was going to happen? Well, apparently not. Um, you're having discussion with someone about the second uh, about the possibility of a second referendum, and it's your dentist that you're having this discussion with because this is the most sensible person you managed to find about this topic so far, and you know this is the person who's curious about this stuff, and you've got analogies with well, okay, suppose I'm suppose there's something wrong with one of your teeth. I'm fifty two percent in favour of f- fixing it, and I'm forty eight percent in favour of extracting it, or the other way around. Okay, well, you know that's not. If, you've, if I've got a bunch of teeth and a bunch of teeth, that's not really a decisive... It may be a million votes in it in between, but it's really not very decisive overall. And, you know, and the, some of these... And I, there's some extent of, well, of course, you're listening to the average person in the streets as well as you're listening to all these advisors who have clearly got their own agendas and some of them want power in their own ways and whether or not they're competent. So there's, there's an amount of lunacy in, OK, well, where are you going to have these conversations from generally? But I don't know how much... Lunacy. I've been exposed to. I'm I'm not going to go into it on the show because the show's not about Mm. that. The the crazy people you meet. We we, we, we do fiction. We don't do that sort of fiction. Yeah, I mean, this Uh, is just, in a sense, speculative fiction about because we, you know, about how could you. 
and it's very, very current and cutting edge speculative fiction. We do do dystopias quite often. Oh, yeah. yeah um, this isn't quite that yet, but so is it fun? Give it a few years. Yeah, it's it's. I have you know, quite a lot of fun going through the, the various issues of, and you know, meeting a number of strange people to, to hammer out these, you know, inf inform me about whatever the issues were. Um, you but. I don't know how, say, neutral it is. You tend to find that there's, there's the people who think, well, well, I've been doing this for 20 years and I understand what I'm doing with this. And this is the you know, this is how much we trade with the EU and this is how much we're going to trade with Korea. If there's a, tra you know, if there's a trade deal with Korea, well, we can't finalise it until after we leave the EU anyway, but it makes a nice headline for papers that suggest we're making progress. But it's you know, nowhere near the amount of... Going to cover the amount of GDP we're going to lose because of this, that, and the other. So there's a lot of serious issues in it. But on the other hand, it's it's a good for next class. Um, Shall we dive into uh, another uh, uh, another thing? Shall we? Yeah, look at something a bit happier. So yeah, we'll... I'm not sure if happier is the right word. Oh, no, 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 no. About. I, I think it will be. Oh, I have a good feeling about this. For anyone who doesn't know what Cabal is, you may have seen a movie called Nightbreed, which was released uh, in the late 80s. Uh, it's about a gentleman who finds out that he is a monster and goes to live with a bunch of other people who are monsters. Or say go to live, he encounters them and interacts with them. And it's like Harry Potter, really. He, he's part of a potential... You're a lizard, Harry! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's great. It is a bit like that. Um, it, it's got aspects of a slasher in that there's a, a nasty man trying to go around and kill monsters and people that he, he thinks are the human equivalent. But that whole idea of monsters and what makes us monstrous is really what the book hinges on. It's all to do with finding out that, that in reality humans are are the monsters usually and that we just have a general fear of the different the outside that which is stronger than us or braver than us or can do something amazing I mean you can relate it in a way to EU in that there is always going to be an inside group who wants to blame problems on the outside group and thinks that the best way to do this is to alienate that group alienate that group further and then destroy them because it makes us feel better I'm, I'm not seeing any parallels at all with the previous book. No, not at all. It, it's such an easy line to take. It, it's a trope, a common trope of the monster was me all along. I mean, you can go back to, to Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster from Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein's monster, which is also known as Frankenstein, and th this is the smallest hill that I'm willing to have at least a mild skirmish on. I'm not as convinced I'm going to die on that hill. Uh -huh. so Frankenstein's monster can beat. So it's surname, because he describes it as his creation, yes. or son. So he's Frankenstein, he's at least a Fitz Frankenstein. Uh-huh, yeah. He's named Adam, isn't he? Adam Frankenstein, but his surname will be Frankenstein. So he's, he's Frankenstein, the... so you can refer to Frankenstein's monster as Frankenstein. And if you want to be really kind of like, ah, really clever and stroke your beard, you can be like, ah, but the monster is actually Victor Frankenstein. It's like, yes, we know, we've, we've seen the story. What's uh, it, knowledge is knowing that Frankenstein... That the monster was Frankenstein. Wisdom is knowing that. Oh no. The doctor was Frankenstein. The doctor was yeah. Frankenstein. Uh, and charisma is not bringing up the difference. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. 
But Very it's much always so. it's always a fun conversation to get into. If you if you know someone who wants to to really get angry, just walk up to them and say, "Oh yeah, so yeah, that Frankenstein horrible monster," and then let them rail about how Frankenstein was not the monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's fine because Frankenstein is a horrible monster. I'm assuming that you're talking about the Toho movie Godzilla versus Frankenstein. Frankenstein, I, I default to Godzilla. Yeah, in, in all things. <laughs> Uh, rather than the, the Mary Shelley. Godzilla Shannon. was not the monster. God, no, wait a minute, that's not right. The smallest hell I'm willing to die on is April Fool's Day lasts the entire day, not just the morning. <laughs> yeah, because it's April Fool's Day. It's not yeah. April Fool's morning. I mean, imagine it's not Valentine, April Fool's brunch. Imagine it? if April, if Valentine's Day only ended at noon. You sell a lot of flowers, but you get no reservations in I restaurants. I sleep through it every time. And Halloween will be pointless. I, I make that argument about April Fool's in the morning, Mabel Fools. No, 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 no. And, and then, and then, stop. I, I will, I will always, I will die on that hill from midnight to to midday on April the first. That is definitely. Wow, so no, no, no. I'll do it from midday to midnight because I believe that the that the idea that it ends at midday is an April Fool that yes. people have taken too seriously. Or a way that very smart people tried to get out of being April Fooled. Because that's how we got away. No, it's after lunch. Now it's April Fool's afternoon. I'm on Ross's side, and if you disagree with me, your birthdays are going to well, be well, very te- short this year. Technically, if you have your days in uh, the the Jewish style, which is because night came before day, because black was there, oh, yeah, sunset to sunset. Day, it would be that April April Fool's wouldn't start until twelve are o'clock we, on April. That makes Fools. a lot more sense. I'm, 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 I'm happy that way because that we because my main complaint is I'm asleep most of the morning. And you know, I only get until noon to do the thing. So April Fool's Day is a complete waste most of the time. Are, are you are you saying that the the half day for April Fools is actually like the fact that well, you know ice cream vans? Yes. I'm aware of ice cream vans. Yes. You know that sound they make. Yes. That sound doesn't mean that they've run out of ice cream. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh. I, I didn't know that. Somebody I thought, needs to give Ed a hug. <laughs> I thought that sound meant they'd run out of ice cream. Someone needs to get Ed a 99 with a flake. <laughs> but, but, but that made perfect sense. Apparently not. <laughs> all, that's all not April Fool's, that's genius parenting. <laughs> <laughs> all I know is when the ice cream vans used to come around my area quite late at night with the music, my mum made sure I didn't go out there because as I found out when I was older, apparently they were mostly selling drugs. At that time of night, you're not after there for a, a twister or a, a screwball. You're after there for a highball. A twister or a screwball. It's nice to know that they've got a, a second line of income as well, though, oh, isn't it? Yeah, because very much like ice cream vans, they'll probably only stop when they... If you're a legitimate ice cream salesman and you get very annoyed by people accusing you of being a mobile dealer of illicit uh, substances, you can contact us at, uh, at Radio Bookworm. Um... And I'm sure we'd be delighted to deal with that on Twitter, because that sounds like fun. I'm <laughs> not saying that all ice cream vans sell drugs. You will be very disappointed if you go following around ice cream vans, hoping for anything more than a fantastically cool iced product. In fairness, you're quite likely to be in an altered state of mind if you're following an ice cream van around. <laughs> they don't move very quickly. <laughs> Um, so Cabal, then. Um, <laughs> and you were worried we'd get off topic when we talked about the Brexit. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of Clive Barker. Uh, yes, it's an old story, the you know man is the real monster thing, but he, he plays it very well. Uh, again, b- perhaps because he writes a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So he can incorporate elements from a lot of different horror genres and fantasy genres because he's done everything, let's face it. I mean, Stardust was wonderful and a great kids' book, and he did In Magica, which was also 
closer for children. Stardust is based on. Oh no, Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman wrote Stardust. But Iron Duke. No, no, I want to explore Clive Barker's Stardust. No, that would be amazing. Because, no, because, be awful. because that's Weave World. Yes. Oh, it is, I suppose, yeah. Because Clive Barker's Clyde Barker Stardust is Weave World, which is a Clive Barker novel uh, set in Liverpool uh, where this guy falls face, face down into a carpet. That's the worst description of that novel ever because it's a magical carpet. <laughs> and what they've magic. weaved into this Weave World yes. is different worlds. So he finds himself in a fantasy land full of different alternative weird people much like about and there are knots that have creatures inside them that he loves putting monsters in things I mean, a hellraiser from the thingy heart i can't remember hellbound heart hellbound heart that's it he's great with the sympathetic creature of the night the the always slightly misunderstood other and he's fantastic if if you don't mind me saying it romanticizing them as well there's there's a fair bit of Rumpy Pumpy. There's a, there's a little bit of Rumpy Pumpy in here. There's so hang on, this is this is the novel about a young man who finds him, finds himself feeling different to the other people on, on the outside. He's not sure exactly what's different about around him. But then he goes into a slightly different underground society where people are just as different as he are, and he becomes a member of this. Clive Barker's gay, isn't he? Um, and he's been manipulated into believing he's a different sort of monster he's a monster born he's he's always felt a connection to this mythical idea of Midian which he's heard from tales of madmen but it's the perfectly normal human doctor who is actually manipulating him into thinking he's a murderer the most human monster that you can you could be that destruction of another life but there's a feeling Clive Barker's work where there there are things that are different, but they're not there's no they're not wrong, they're just maligned by ignorance. There there are ignorant people in the world who who hate those people hate those creatures for being what they are, and there's nothing wrong with what they are. They're just different to the outsiders, and it's very lazy and it's very obvious to to draw the big LGBT metaphor. And there's also a um, there's a kink related metaphor as well. Um, there as well, and it's very lazy and it's very obvious. But Clive Barker says that's what that is, and he wrote them, so <laughs> I, I'm happy with drawing those parallels myself. Yep, um, and they're all splendidly done as well. That none of the characters in this are, are really two dimensional, they're all fantastic. There's no well, they're definitely evil monster, and even the, the evil people, they. they they come across as having a goal, a purpose, and it's always pretty nasty. Debt is nasty. Debt is a monster. Well, debt is a different kind of monster. A different kind of monster. But there's still something inside him. The fact that he's led by a mask, he uses something else to make himself monstrous. He forces himself to be it. But he's a, a wimp, a whimpering coward on the inside when he hasn't got that external caricature of his internal thoughts. So it, it does give depth to everybody. Um, the, I, I'm going to say something controversial about the movie Nightbreed that this is based on. Is I know a lot of people who love that movie. Mm-hmm. I think the movie is such a wasted opportunity. Um, it's so flawed. 
And it's so, I don't know, I don't know if that's It was ruined by the editing process, and even Clive Barker himself commented on it, because it was marketed as a slasher film because yes. of the, the human murderer that is also running rampant while these monsters are just trying to live their own lives. And they're not all nice monsters either. They would happily eat people, but they've been told not to, so they generally don't, which is quite nice. They have a real civilization, But the film itself, again... The Cabal Cut was released a couple of years ago with a lot of the extra scenes added in and it makes more of a story because they tried to sell it as a slasher. It's not. It's a, a morality tale and a tale about understanding others and you can't sell it in that. And because they tried, they really wanted to make a horror movie and it's not. It's, yeah. it's in, a, in a way, it's a very wholesome film if you take out the Nazi classics. It's an urban fantasy story, yeah. and it's a very early urban fantasy story. And I keep having this argument about this conversation about well, when did urban fantasy start? Did it start with a vampire? Start in the vampire? Did it start further back? How do we define urban fantasies as a genre? Because, and I'm not sure where you really start, but mm. certainly it, these days, Cabal would be marketed as an urban fantasy novel. And it might be, you know, an editor might have sat on Clive and said, actually, can we, add, can we have more of this? Can yeah. we have more of the creatures? Can we have more of the monsters? And you get um, Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Lost Children and that mm-hmm. sort of, yes. that sort of uh, all freaks together, which is a theme that's also explored by the Muppet movies. <laughs> um, and Clive Barker's... Well, they did Treasure Island. Do you think they could possibly do a uh, Muppets Night? The Muppets Cabal. The Muppets Cabal, I, I, be, I'm there. Would be amazing. I think the original movie was very brave because uh, it had David Cronenberg as an actor in there, which is always a bad idea. Yeah, it's always a terrible and idea. The, the special effects are absolutely amazing. Special effects is a bit of one of my hobbies, and I love great movies and great, mm. great plays and theatre as well mm. that really do well. And there's so many fantastic physical special effects the movie yeah. monsters are all beautifully made because Clive Barker is an artist not oh, just an author sorry I had it for a moment there I thought we were still talking about the Muppet movie <laughs> well the Muppet yes, movie as yes, well we because were. let's face it Jim Hates it? And, and, and his creations are phenomenal works of, of art as well Peregrine she called Peregrine per- Peregrine Miss Peregrine's home for children no no the character Peregrine oh Peregrine yeah. yeah who's the uh, who's the, in the movie is all feathers and it's beautiful. no that's Sheena Sassy yeah, Sheena Sassy is the, the lady Pelequin is the gentleman who bites our our hero and truly un, uh, and makes him part of the nightbreed folk by genetically passing on the monster DNA that's a little weird and it sounds science fiction but it's more vampirific in a way uh, or werewolfy mm-hmm. but uh, he's the character who represents the spirit of the breed because he's different and he's happy about it. He he's not ashamed of who he is, and he looks very inhuman. Uh, and even though he breaks the rules, he's somewhat of a punkish rebel, which sets it in the eighties. You very much get the feel of goth and, and new rave and new romantics. They're all the different people that are outside of society then, and homosexuality and people who really wanted to push their own sexuality out there instead of being normalised and held back. Uh, and yeah, he's. I realise. I feel like my problem with Cabal, uh, to an extent, is that it's very much of its time of the eighties, of the eighties and of the nineties, and that whole idea is one of the problems I have again, weirdly with the Harry Potter books, is that the, there is a society that is separate from our society that remains hidden, and yet, as a society, that there is an in, there there is a vocal 
chunk of society that are like, if you're different, it's fine. If you're different, it's more than fine. Come and enjoy the party. We we have ice cream. Uh, if you can't eat ice cream, that's fine as well. We have we have we have alternatives, and we've we prepared leaflets. It's you know you come join come yeah. co- come join, and I don't I haven't seen much. I haven't seen the the social justice version of Cabal. I I would love to see a, a, an idea of a whole bunch of weird monsters just getting online and just going, yeah no we're gonna have a meeting at the Fab, uh, the Fab Cafe in Manchester. Come along. Uh, it's mostly gonna be werewolves and creatures made out of plants, but you know everyone's welcome. Um, and, and you know, I, I, make sure you eat at home. We don't want to see you eating in front of <laughs> us. Okay, you know that freaks people out. So come meet us halfway with this. We're not going to argue about your diet, but we don't. We also don't want to see it. Is that um, all right? Just looked at the special effects guy from the uh, Nightbreed movie, and he has a, a hell of a resume. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've got uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, and one of the best transformations. Yeah, things. definitely. Um, um, Sorry, he, he was on the X Files. He was on Gremlins Two: The New Batch, which you know, if you one of the best special effects movies it, 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 ever. But Army of Darkness and everything like that. So you you get some really, if the, if and we've turned into a film review the show right now. But if you like things like uh, Clive Barker's The Thing for its special effects, then then watch Nightbreed. Not Clive Barker's, but. No, Clive Barker's. Everything. If you're if you're mixing up Stardust, then I'm mixing yeah, up Clive Barker's the thing. <laughs> this is why John we're not. Carpenter's <laughs> John why... Carpenter's the thing. Yeah. However, if you really like Clive Barker, what I can't recommend, sadly, is Clive Barker's Clive Barker's Jericho by Clive Barker, which is a computer game, which has some of the same wonderful aesthetic that he puts into his books and his art, but isn't such a great computer game. I think one of the problems that the actual movie has is that it's directed by Clive Barker, who isn't actually very good <gasps> oh uh, oh controversial uh, it's not really he's he's a bit yeah yes. if, he, if he'd handed his because the problem is is as a right so they are directors out there Tom Patton is a good example Tom Hinton even is a director yes. who writes his scripts creates his movies and has his vision uh, but he's not working off anyone else's work it's his being in his head but he's not written a novel he's made a, he's written it for a movie if he um, he made a comic book version of one of his movies, and he was like, "I'm not doing that again because it's a different discipline. I don't yes. have it." And um, Stephen King had the same experience with Maximum Over- Overdrive. Mm. He directed his own version of a novel that he'd written, and hated the experience. He, yes. dire- he redirected a version of oh, here is Johnny. Uh, the Shining. The Shining, because he didn't like the original Shining. Which, in fairness, that that's not a that's not a terrible criticism because wa- the uh-huh. thing is, it wasn't very good. And if you're going to redirect something which has been held to critical acclaim, yeah. you better make sure that you think you're doing something. Let's take down a director or two. Let's start with Kubrick. Why not? Yeah. Oh boy, set your sights high. From the guy who likes to have a small bit part in his own movies and generally hopes someone will end them better because, let's face it, he well, can't end his own story. He's a lot better at, uh, at not directing. If you look at any uh, Stephen King thing that doesn't have him involved other than the, uh, um, the, the, the base material, it's so much better than anything he gets. Sorry, Stephen, we don't mean to kick you around here, but you've let me down. You've let me down hard sometimes. Shall we? Shall we leave? Time to go.
Um, I, 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 I know where we went, went wrong last time. Yes. Um, Should we go wrong there again? Yes, let's do it again, but better. Let's, let's do everything we did last time, but do it properly this time. Let's do it wrong properly. Exactly. I think we should take it to a vote. <laughs> yeah, somehow it's going to be 48 to 52. <laughs> Which means we're definitely doing this wrong. And on that, bye! <laughs> <laughs>